Hey, what's up, Kuyamaka Conversations? My name is Esteban Monzon. I'm here with Bryce Montgomery, the lead vocalist and lead guitarist of Killer Crab. Say hi, Bryce. Hello. <laughs> All right. So tell me tell me a little bit about yourself, Bryce. Uh, where are you from? How old are you? Uh, and how did all of this start? Okay, my name's Bryce. I'm uh, from La Mesa. I grew up in La Mesa in San Diego. I am a native. Um, I'm 26 currently, and I've been playing music for a whole big chunk of my life. So, yeah. Uh, what, how exactly did that start? What, were, what inspired you to become a musician and start playing music? Okay, so my dad, my dad was a guitarist as well, and uh, he was never in any bands or did anything like that, but he just played for himself. And when I was growing up, he used to play in our living room, and I was always just fascinated with how the guitar sounded, and, you know, I picked it up from my dad. I wanted to be like him and learn about it, and that's, that's where I started, for sure. Yeah. Did he teach you? No. So I, uh, I didn't really get into it until I was about 10 or whatever age you are in sixth grade. I remember it was sixth grade when I started. But um, we, uh, I, got a, I got a teacher, a uh, private instructor, and uh, he put me through lessons as soon as he saw that I was interested and wanted to do it. So he got me a teacher, and uh, yeah, that's where I started with that. That's, that's really cool. Yeah, I, like, I know that when you're picking up music, especially instruments, you, you tend to start from a really young age, and either comes from someone in your family or someone around that you've been living around. So it's really cool that you've been, that you picked it up from your dad that you wanted to become a guitarist because of him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so you said it was around sixth grade. Were, were there any like, any like challenges that came with that? Um, like yeah. not specifically with how old you were, but like, um, like how you were, uh learning it were there any difficulties with that how with learning how to play the guitar so yeah i'll say like um when i decided to pick it up i was really lucky to have you know the ability to be put in lessons first of all I'll recognize you know i was very lucky um for me and for a lot of kids because now i also do some teaching on the side and whatnot so i know the general process of those beginning few lessons but for me as a kid um i was just one of those kids that grabbed the guitar, did my lessons, spent like three hours a day or more at home, just grinding away because I, I genuinely was really passionate about it. And that's not the case yeah. for a lot of kids. You know, a lot of kids will want to play guitar. And, you know, I even get some kids that I teach sometimes that are just, that just want a buddy to talk to you for 20 minutes and they don't <laughs> even want to practice. But I just happened to be one of those kids that really was passionate at the time. And I spent a lot of time learning. So the challenge of learning guitar itself is um, was obviously challenging. It's a hard thing to do. It's a hard, I mean, it, you've got to get, you know, your dexterity, oh, yeah, for your, sure. all that stuff and whatnot. But um, for me, it came uh, quite naturally, actually, as well as me putting in the time. Um, there is a difference as much as, you know, everybody can learn an instrument. Everybody can, uh, everybody can do it, but some people, it does come to them easier than others. And I was, I was one of those lucky, lucky people that it kind of came to me like naturally as I progressed, it would all made sense in my head or, and in on my fingers, it just, <laughs> it just, it just clicked for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel that there. Uh, every time I take a class, whether it's the private lesson 
or just like like the college classes I'm taking right now, they're always saying that you either need to practice really hard or you're just going to get it a little bit naturally, more naturally than other people, which is not a bad thing. It just means um, that some people are going to have to practice a little bit more. Exactly. That's exactly true. It's like, yeah, for me, I have, I have what's called perfect relative pitch. So that's something a lot of people have, there's perfect pitch when you can hear a note and be like, oh, I automatically register that as an A440 or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, that's then, and some people are just that lucky, right? They just are born that way and that's how it is. You know, it's nothing wrong with it. It's good for them. I, I was at the level of perfect relative pitch where I could hear a certain note and be told what it is. And then any other note, I could relate back to that note and tell you what the other note was. That's kind of how oh. So. So like I said, it's not a bad thing or a good thing, but for some people, you just, sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't, you know, so I happen to be <laughs> moderately lucky in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I have, I can't tell you how many people, uh, how many people I've met that have had perfect pitch and mm-hmm. they, they're, it's either they're always like really generous and really like humble about it, yeah. <laughs> which is almost never. <laughs> like if, if someone has perfect pitch, you're going to, you're going to be able to tell that they have perfect pitch. They, <laughs> do they won't go two seconds oh, without mentioning it. But yeah, relative, perfect, relative pitch. That's perfect relative. relative pitch. Oh, perfect relative pitch. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. That's, very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that was a little bit about your, uh, about your growing up in music. What yeah. about like, uh, your past in the, in the in music industry itself? Uh, okay, so uh, as far as my experience in the music industry, it started out, I'll say again, when I was about seventh grade-ish. I, uh, like I said, I progressed pretty fast because of how much time I put in. So I started writing songs when I was about in seventh grade. And uh, okay. I started my first band when I was in seventh grade with a couple of guys, um, even one of them I played with all the way through high school. His name was Clay. Um, so we started a little band, wrote some songs, and we had our first music industry experiences when we started playing shows in public in about eighth grade. And we did our first little five song EP at a recording studio. Um, it was awesome, great times. Uh, I got my first real experiences of the real world though uh, in those experiences. So selling tickets for the first time, realizing how little bands get paid for the amount of tickets that they sell and make uh your typical um when you're starting out you're typically getting one dollar for every ten dollar ticket you sell that's typically the rate and that's not an exaggeration that's actually and i think it still is that way you you get one dollar if you for every ticket you sell that it costs ten dollars typically that works at like soma and like the local venues around here and and it's not their fault i would say because it is hard to get people out to live shows these days more often especially like specifically genres of like local music and whatnot but um so we got our first taste of the real world in like eighth grade when we sold I remember we sold like 60 something tickets to our first show and we were really proud of it. And <laughs> so we're talking like $650 and we're thinking we're going to walk away with a bunch. And then we walked away with $65 and we were like, Oh, okay. That's how that works. And uh, but the music industry. So that's, that was my beginnings in the music industry. And that progressed to further things. Um, we, we kept playing shows. We started playing shows in high school. We played pretty much every venue in San Diego, you know, it was hard doing bars because it's 21 and up, but 
there was oh, yeah. uh, there was options. We did play a bar here and there that would just let us walk in, get on the stage, play our set, and then walk back out. You know, no mingling or anything like that. But it was possible. Mm-hmm. We did play a couple bars, but but we played pretty much <laughs> every all ages venue, including Soma, House of Blues, and, and all those kind of places. You know, we played our first show was at a place called Channel Twelve Twenty Five in El Cajon. If anybody remembers that, but they unfortunately mm-hmm. shut down. They couldn't keep up, which happens to be the story with a lot of local venues, unfortunately, but that's just how mm-hmm. it sometimes, you know, but there's a lot of cool places at the beginning. Um, I guess after that, we moved on to some bigger and better things. We played with some bigger bands, got to open for some, you know, bigger names and whatnot at like different random venues, like like the loft at UCSD, or there was this place called the Epicenter in Claremont. Um, we played at the Epicenter with a Disney band uh, with a guy who's still oh, pretty named, uh, I think it's like Ryder or something. They played with a band called R5 and they were really popular. This uh, There's a Disney show about him called like, oh, what was his name? Oh, shoot. There's a big, he's still popular to this day or whatever. <laughs> R5 was his band and we got to open for them and play for a big crowd, you know. Um, so that was our kind of middle experience. Um, then we got to the bigger leagues with, uh, we had our first little like record contract when we were uh, 17 years old. So we were like juniors in high school. That's pretty early. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't like a big deal record contract of any kind. It was a very oh, okay. small deal kind of contract where <laughs> uh, a record company picked us up to do an album with them and fronted the album costs and whatnot to get us an album. Um, and then we split the profits afterwards of our cds and and sales essentially so it was a very small time deal but it was still a deal when we were 17 and that was our first real experience with the record industry and how that worked and yeah i mean there's there's definitely a lot more to talk about there and (laughs) that part works and i definitely left that section of my life with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth but um we can get into that later if you want but um then now my current uh, experiences into the industry we started playing shows again in our 20s, uh, started a new band, uh, Psychedelic Rock. We went down a lot more of an obscure route. Well, I did personally with my music writing. So, you know, still sticking to the local venues and stuff like that, but more of a, in a purposeful way now, not really trying to expand as much so forcefully, at least as I was when I had my first record deal and we were trying to, you know, force ourselves to be pop and to be popular and stuff like that. So yeah. definitely I've, yeah. So that's my experience now is it's a lot more leisure. It's a lot more fun. And, you know, if something happens, it happens, but that's more my outlook now these days. That's, that's a, that's a really great way to look at it. Cause like, like you said before, you're, uh, you were in your past, you were forcing yourself more to yeah. do pop. So yeah. now you're just doing more what you like to do and more what the, your creativity is bringing you to do. Yeah. And I'll say yeah. the, pop, the pop did bring us some success and it doesn't not work. If you're willing to, you know, if you're willing to do it, it's not like you <laughs> won't be successful, probably. Like, we were pretty successful, but it was not where my heart was, so. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. Um, what, what exactly, you said before, that part of your, that part of your life, that part of the, your history with the music industry left a bad taste in your mouth. What exactly do you mean by that? Okay, so yeah, we, um, when we first did that record deal, very small record deal. Um, 
we did our 10 songs on the album and I was, so I primarily write the songs and all the parts and all the lyrics and all the stuff. I'm a, I'm a songwriter, but um, I, what I didn't realize is I signed certain things and I didn't read the contract as a 17 year old as I should have, which, you know, they, they obviously warned us, you know, figure, you know, <laughs> very obvious thing to do is figure out what you're reading and what you're doing, but you're 17 and you're starry eyed. What are you going to do? Um, and I started having the producer take over and change some of the songs and change some of the parts and change some, like he took out the drums on one of the songs. It was like, this should, this song is better oh, in, a, in an acoustic vibe ish kind of thing. And I couldn't change that. I, I lost the right to say like, Oh no, I like the drums. I like this, you know? <laughs> so yeah. um, I realized that uh, not a lot of the industry works that way, obviously, because I've only had a small taste, but mm -hmm. Um, there is a lot more to completing albums with a with a record label kind of in that way that a lot of people don't realize and how much creative freedom you do kind of lose when somebody is holding you know the money over your head so yeah it's it's not uh I wouldn't even consider it like immoral on their part or anything like that I get it that it's a business it really is a business at the end of the day for them they want to make money with music you know mm -hmm. what they have to do to try to to try to make that happen but when you're young and you think it works like uh, you know I obviously can look back and say I probably had uh, some delusions about it where I would be this <laughs> I can write whatever I want and you'll pay for me and take care of me like some you know little pop <laughs> star or something but it definitely changed my perspective and I definitely had a hard time um, with people manipulating my music to make more money. Um, yeah, and it, it was tough, but it was a lesson I learned. Imagine. Yeah, it was a yeah. lesson learned yeah. um, So I heard you mentioned, uh, mentioned earlier that when you were just starting, you weren't making so much money. It was like, for every 650 bucks you made in total, you only got like 65. That's right. Uh, and I know you were young at the time, but did you have like any other jobs um any of the jobs help like making up for the lost money <laughs> oh absolutely absolutely and it was yeah I would go to school I started working at yogurt mill was my first job and <laughs> all my and that's what I did actually most of us did we all had little side jobs on the weekend in high school and that's how we paid for a lot of our gear and a lot of our like you know studio time when we needed to pay for we wanted to release a single we'd all pool our money together and you know, and do it that way. Yeah, definitely had to work outside to to make it work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally feel that. Um, like right now, I'm working. I'm not. Are you? I was working full hours, um, and going to school full time. Now I'm just. Uh, but I couldn't handle it. So now I'm like trying to teach music lessons, trying to do math tutoring, science tutoring, whatever I can get to help me pay for the materials that I need. So yeah, I totally feel that. Yeah, definitely. It's it takes a lot of you have to make or you have to pay money to make money right that's how it works like you can't, <laughs> can't be a musician without a guitar or an amp or pedals and whatnot you know yeah yeah true so uh, you said earlier too that you were that you were the main person that wrote all your songs and all your lyrics and the music itself so what's a what's your creative process with that do you do you write the lyrics first and then write the music or do you do it simultaneously? How does yeah. that go? The age old chicken or the egg question, right? <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So for me personally, 
because it does vary from writer to writer. I, uh, I first, what I do personally is I go out to the, to my garage is where my studio is now. And I will pick up my guitar and I will uh, just jam. I'll jam or I'll jam with my drummer, for example, and we will just improvise. We'll improv, we'll let our emotions through the guitar and, you know, our emotions out through the music nowadays. Mm-hmm. And it'll turn into like, oh, that part was cool. Oh, that part was cool. I'll usually record it and listen back and listen for cool parts here and there. Um, and then I get an idea for a song, a riff, like a guitar riff and a chord progression mm-hmm. or whatnot. And uh, typically for me, it usually comes music then lyrics, but I also will have some lyrics stashed here and there about a song idea, about a cool lyrical motif or something like that. And I kind of make a pool of riffs okay. and progressions and song ideas and lyric ideas and story ideas, you know, for the layer of the lyrics. And mm-hmm. um, I'll mix and match and put them together like a, like a dish of food or something, right? <laughs> I, go with yeah. it, I go with that and then I'll try them out. I'll build songs with like, let's add this riff with this lyrical motif and well, do those go good together? Okay, then, then let's build off this little idea and turn it into a song from there is kind of the way my brain processes it. Um, For our last album, The Crystal Mountain, I, um, it's a concept album that is fluent through, like fluid through uh, from the beginning to the end. It's a, it's a singular story throughout the lyrics, but it didn't like always start that way. I had a few song ideas. I had songs here and there, and then I decided to make a concept album. And then I edited some lyrics, uh, changed some things around and then made made the concept album fit without necessarily forcing anything. I, uh, yeah, just, uh, just sat down, processed those like lyrics, the meanings, the story, how I could fit the story to the lyrics, but the music actually came first, definitely for the album. Um, and then okay. the lyrics came second for this album. Yeah. I was listening to it right, uh, like a few days before, um, before the interview. I was I was listening to it it's even the music itself it first of all the lyrics just like flowed through like you said like it was in a story like it was in a story but the music did the same thing which was which was really weird but it was almost like it was like it was like someone was telling a story it was I don't know how to describe it but (laughs) no it was was pretty amazing it is purposeful too like the the way the 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 songs and the arrangements were chosen especially if you notice how they all flow into each other, that is all purposeful to make it feel like it's a journey where you're yeah. starting at one point and ending at another point. And then the lyrics just happen to match that journey as best as I could match them. But yeah, it is, it is definitely purposeful that the, that the, um, the dynamics of the album go the way they do, right? So you have mm-hmm. your ups, your downs, your climaxes, your rising action and whatnot. That, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So... What do you think one of your past producers would have thought about this album, your Crystal Mountain <laughs> album? <laughs> I, that's a great question. Um, my old producer that was trying to make us pop would obviously probably not like it that much. He would, uh, <laughs> he would say, this is not going to sell to your average person. And I would probably be inclined to agree with him. I would say, yeah, <laughs> I, I chose a lot of really uh, interesting, you know, interesting ways to deliver our music. I 
the way I did the vocals with a, with a robotic auto-tune box over high falsetto on top mm -hmm. of, you know, riffs that are sometimes modulate and whatnot. It's, it's not your standard pop album for sure. <laughs> it's very far from that. I don't know how yeah. he would, I don't know how he would react. I think he might like it personally, but as if he were to give me his <laughs> opinion, he would say, I don't think this is going to sell much, <laughs> but I'm okay with that now. Wait. Um, how do you think, so like nowadays indie, indie rock is a lot more popular, I feel, than it used to be. So like in the 2000s, I remember that I would hear like um, contemporary rock with like Green Day and other, even other stuff like that. So indie rock is way more popular now. I know I have like 50 bands on every single one of my playlists and like all my friends listen to all these different artists that I've never heard before, but they're all amazing. So how do you think, like, uh, what do you think your producer would have said now, like today? So, okay, yeah, I think an overall picture of the industry today, and as far as like indie rock goes, um, there is a market for it. There is like Greta Van Fleet is doing classic rock nowadays, and it's coming back and they're selling out arenas and stuff. And mm -hmm. Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is amazing. And they're super obscure and their music is different, but they're, but they're not obscure anymore. They're, they're popular. You know what I mean? Yeah. So while there is a market for it, it is a lot more niche than we'd like to admit and hard to get into. <laughs> um, yeah. You're, we're obviously not talking top 10 on the charts here. We're talking, it's going to be down there, maybe even making the charts. So if you're talking the charts, you're talking, you know, more hip hop and, you know, popular music, you know, Katy Perry. Yeah what's I don't even know what's popular Ariana Grande and stuff like that <laughs> that's your pop and that's your real market is um is pop but there that's not to say that there isn't a market for indie rock and obscure rock and roll and whatnot there still is a thriving market for that um yeah. which is why we're which is why we were pursuing it you know we were doing our thing and we were going to go for it until COVID happened and we lost our show <laughs> but you know oh, yeah. it's what it is um so there is a market and we are trying to get into it. Um, but it's hard. It's a lot more difficult. You have a lot less of a, uh, audience to, to market oh, yeah. to, to make money off of, to buy your merch, to buy your albums, uh, to buy your tickets. So it's out there. It's, it's, it exists. There's a market for everybody, no matter what type of music you make, but mm -hmm. it's tough. It's tougher definitely for, for more obscure psychedelic indie rock bands. <laughs> your standard, you know, pop band. Yeah, yeah. I I totally feel that. Speaking of which, what what is your opinion on like the top 10 songs, the <laughs> top 10 artists that are, that we have today? Cuz like some of them I I personally feel like like they're catchy, which is pretty bad because it's so, a lot of the songs to me personally are like really basic. And there's so many different artists that we could be playing on the on the radio and everybody would love but right now we have like four four artists that we've known for like a few years now and those are the only songs that are playing yeah i definitely would say that this is a this is a layered question for sure there's many layers to this there's the way the industry works and in marketing and in how you know when familiarity right so you get a high big uh paying record company signs Nicki Minaj and they pay a bunch of money to put her music in front of millions of people through advertising and 
you know, getting her deals and whatnot. And, and it's just easy for people to consume that. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's a business. It's, it makes sense. It's a business. And as far as the music itself goes, um, I, I used to be very elitist, I would say. <laughs> I would say, oh, you like this. Oh, you like that. <laughs> this chord progression is this. The, you know, how can you like such a simple melody or whatever? <laughs> Through the, throughout the years, you know, I found personally that it's like, at the end of the day, art is subjective and music is art. So I can't really condemn other artists for making things that I might find shallow or um, simple even, because there's nothing inherently wrong with simple. Um, in my opinion, it's uninteresting, but at the same time, I can't condemn it. I can't condemn people who listen to it either. But so yeah, there's many layers. There's, there's how they get popular, how they run the charts, I don't necessarily agree that maybe people make the charts based off merit. I think there's more to the picture than just talent and merit of their songs. I think there's a whole industry behind it and advertising and psych psychology even. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I agree. I wish there was a bigger audience for my particular type of music. <laughs> Who doesn't, <laughs> right? <laughs> I wish that everybody loved what I love. But that's what makes the world so great is that everybody loves something different and you get different people and we all have differences. So mm -hmm. as far as my take on the on the popular music of today, I, I don't condemn it. I don't condemn anyone who listens to it. It's not personally my favorite thing to listen to. <laughs> I spend a lot of time listening to uh, Cardi B or anything like that. But you know, I do enjoy hip hop. It's it's not just it's not you know pop. I wouldn't you know categorize with hip hop. I love hip hop. I love rock and roll. Pop necessarily isn't my favorite, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I respect that they're up there and they found their way and it's working for them. So yeah, yeah. At, at the end of the day, every all music is an art. Yeah, yeah. It's subjective. So who knows, right? <laughs> Um, okay, so you mentioned earlier about uh, COVID, which obviously that sucks. Everybody's, oh yeah, everybody's, um, everybody's suffering from it. Um, and like I remember at the beginning, the beginning of COVID, it was my 2020 graduate year. I was so excited, and then it happened, and I was just in complete denial. I did not want to accept that it was actually happening. So like, how did that like? because of how big of an impact all that stuff is ha having on people, how, how are you and your band uh, going to go, like, move forward in the future? What are your plans for the future after all of this eventually goes away? Definitely. Um, so when COVID started, we had, so we just released the Crystal Mountain last year. Um, it's been over a year now because we, it was, I believe, October of 2019 is when we released the Crystal Mountain. And we started playing shows and we had a big show in March of 2020. And that was right, or it was February 28th, I remember, was our last show together. And then COVID hit around March 15th is when we all went into lockdown. Um, we had, yeah. it was, it was really unfortunate because this was a new project <laughs> for us. We uh, just released the album, started playing shows and we were starting to get the ball rolling. We actually had a we had a handful of shows already booked for the year, including like ones out of state. We were going to Arizona to play a show. We were going to San Francisco to play a show. And oh, uh, 
yeah, we and LA and we had like some cool, really cool opportunities present themselves to us. But then COVID came and, you know, it had, what had to be done had to be done, unfortunately, is my take on it. You know, I think it's a, I think people are really suffering out there and I feel for it. And I wouldn't have a show right now, even if I could personally, <laughs> I would say stay home, stay safe. And, um, it was a, it was a bummer though. It was a serious bummer when we lost, it would, it would have been my personal first experience playing shows out of state. And I was really excited for that, but yeah, it is what it is. So, um, what our plan is currently and what we've been up to is we've been writing music. We've been, uh, taking it easy though. We're not really that active with our social media currently, but if you go on bands, mm-hmm. social medias, a lot aren't really that active with their social media right now, especially in the local scene and the smaller scenes that aren't like in the business industry needing to literally keep mm-hmm. up business for, for the artist scene. And for the people who don't necessarily rely on that income, most of us are taking sort of a break right now. Um, just kind of, making music and behind the scenes work and whatnot but when you can't play a show you can't play a show so um we've got like six songs done for our next album which is like good and exciting but uh we don't meet as much anymore we just kind of hang out when we meet versus you know rehearse as much um Mm -hmm. plans for when it's over is to jump right back in though we still have our contacts at all the venues and we know we had our shows booked and we've you know We've done our, we paid our dues and we sell our tickets now. So we have that say that we can get a show wherever we want to do, uh, wherever mm-hmm. we want to go, but um, at least locally and semi-locally, but um, we're going to hop right back in. As soon as it's over, we're going to jump right back in as I imagine most bands will do. And we're going to play some shows again, get some things recorded, release new music, release new content and all that junk. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, um, as you were saying, like, um, your band, your band still meets, right? Like every once in a while, yeah. but not necessarily to re- rehearse or anything, but just to like hang out. Yep. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's really cool. So like, along with that has, I know like, uh, music isn't all like music isn't always just the music itself, but it's like the community that you build with other people, the relationships that you get through music. So like, along with that, how was, how has music like influenced, uh, not necessarily like just this past year with all the craziness that's been happening, but like just with your life in general, how has music influenced you as an artist and as a person? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, you're right. There is so much more to, music and and being in a band specifically than just you know your talent or ability to play an instrument together or well with a group of people there is camaraderie that is absolutely a necessity to having a time where you play music which i think is a is a major element of music it's about good times or not just good times because it's about bad times too but it's about Mm -hmm. you know the fun and emotion and connection it's about human connection i would say yeah Um, but being in a band and being in a healthy band is it's so important to be friends with your bandmates. Um, and even if you weren't to be cordial and to be polite person, but luckily for Mm -hmm. us, and what I think is a necessity personally is to be good friends with your bandmates and Mm -hmm. all of us, we get along super well. We love to hang out and have a few beers and just talk and (laughs) talk about life and whatnot. And we do it, we do it as frequently as we can. Lately we've been doing it less, unfortunately, because 
we haven't been we've been personally following social distance guidelines and we do get together yeah, that's good. In a while, maybe outdoors with masks and whatnot but uh, having just a little bit less because a lot of us are just hanging out a little bit less in general but yeah. um it's so important it's so important um as far as my personal life goes there's something also about like being in a band that just does it boosts your confidence like when you go throughout life and your day-to-day you just having that just knowledge that you're you're doing something you're pursuing something um that you have a good emotional outlet um, mm-hmm. that affects my personal life is, is actually putting my emotion into these songs and releasing my emotions. And that makes me feel healthier on a day to day as when I play music to express myself. Um, yeah. and, and I will say the confidence is nice when you know you're in a band and you feel at least, at least you believe in yourself and you feel like you're doing good. It's, <laughs> it's easy to, it's easy to walk around and feel confident and, you know, not be so afraid in social instances, you know, you're, you're a band member. You're you're a rock star. You know, <laughs> be one. That's all. Oh, yeah. If you're if you want to be a rock star, be one. That's all. That's all it takes. You know. Mm-hmm. That rock star attitude. <laughs> so that's how it affects my personality. Yeah. I like to wear weird clothes. I like to wear, you know, ridiculous jewelry. Sometimes I like to, uh, and I oh, like yeah. to <laughs> because why not? You know, I'm in a band. I can do whatever. But it doesn't even matter that you're in a band. Just confidence in general, you know. It, it's a necessity to life, in my opinion. Do what you want. Live how you want. Yeah, yeah. But I totally feel that. It helps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just like, I, I completely agree. I completely and totally understand. Because, like, um, just going, even just, like, going through high school and being in a music class, you're you're more comfortable around those people that you feel that you know have like a similar creative output so mm-hmm. if you're wearing something weird or doing something weird and just acting goofy around your friends that you know are musicians it's like you you know you're not afraid of the judgment you're not you're not afraid that anybody's going to be um I, like i said before judging or yeah. even like giving criticism towards you yeah. Yeah. And it can be said for, for most things, not just being in a band, but just having a solid group of friends that all is into the same things. Like for our band personally, our, our theme is gold and white and we wear white clothes with like gold accents, like specifically and exclusively. So it's one thing to walk on stage or walk around in life with something goofy on like a like a <laughs> president looking costume. But then, the, <laughs> but then there's something else that is when you walk out and it's the five of us and all of us are wearing our white elvis looking costumes and we just <laughs> it, there's it's your family you know it's your close friends and you know you if you want to run the world you can run the world mm-hmm. that's what it feels so that's how it affects me personally in that in that regard well that's that's amazing and we love that yeah okay so <laughs> um that's just about all the time that we have for today um you can find kill the crab on all social media platforms and all streaming platforms. All right, thank you so much. Thank you.